Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. Not long afterwards, Jesus came from Nazareth in the province of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As, sorry, soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit coming down on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my own dear son. I am pleased with you. Amen. For a number of weeks, um, <clears throat> for about nine weeks, on and off our teaching series, we've been looking at foundations. Because uh, since coming back into our building, which I think was a year past March, about a fifth or more uh, people who worship with us, who consider this our church family, are new. And so I felt strongly that because we are coming from all different walks of life, uh, geography, uh, church experiences, that we should do a series which we call Foundations. And we explored just some things that are distinctive about our church family that may be distinct in other or seen in other church families as well. So we have explored a lot in those weeks, and now we're coming to the end. And so for three weeks, we're going to explore the Trinity. That for me is because I, I, never, I couldn't actually find the reference to it, but I remember reading at one point Dallas Willard, who I, I love reading, um, I had the privilege of meeting, saying that if he was to start up a church plant, the first series he would explore would be Trinity because at the foundation of who we are is Trinitarianism. It's so important to have those, um, that understanding and to celebrate that and see that our whole life and mission comes from that dance, that community, which is the Trinity that has been going on for all eternity. So for three weeks... And it's split up over the next number of weeks. But for three weeks, we're going to explore the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But the way in which church calendar falls, because next week is Pentecost, we're going to do God the Holy Spirit next week. So this week, God the Father. Next week, God the Holy Spirit. Then some things in between. And then eventually, we'll get to God the Son. Is that as clear as mud? Wonderful, wonderful. Jesus said this to his disciples. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So we know that Trinity, the word Trinity, is not in the Bible. You can look at all the 66 books and you'll not find the word Trinity. But that's not unusual because there are a number of theological concepts that are not found in the Bible, that scholars, theologians, church history and, and tradition have validated for the existence, the 2,000 years of the, the church's existence. 
And so, hopefully, when I was reading the passage there, you can see that in the words there are described a Trinitarian revelation between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And maybe comes to your mind uh, the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of John, all sorts of places where you see the transfiguration, where you see the Trinity play out, the dance play out. And suffice to say, I'm not going to get bogged down in the technicalities of the Trinity. But it is worth noting that Christianity is the only religion that believes that God is triune. Can you give me, Andrew, can you flick to the next slide? That God is one being, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Equally God, who know and love one another. And I'm going to let you just see that for a second. That's on. Turn everything off, that's on. One God is one being, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all equally God who know and love one another. Because the Trinity is difficult to comprehend. You can go into a, a mental overload in your circuits as you skirt around it, as you dive into it. But the Trinity is not tritheism. It is not three gods who stick together and who like each other. That is not the Trinity. The Trinity is not unipersonalism. One God who from time to time decides to take a certain form or a certain character or shape. In the Trinity we have one God and three persons who know, love, well, know and love one another. So God is not more fundamentally one than he is three and God is not more fundamentally three than he is one. <laughs> so we're going to explore this. I'm not going to get into technicalities. If you're interested in the technicalities of it, wow, just stick it into Google and you'll come across some good ones and some bad ones and you just need to make your way through that. What I hope to explore is relationship maybe a part of the role in what we see in Scripture. And today, my language will speak predominantly about God the Father and, and his love for uh, God the Son. And so you may not hear me mention God the Spirit very many times, but know that the Holy Spirit is dancing all the way through this. The Holy Spirit is all the way involved. There is no time where he is not involved. But for the purpose of what I'm trying to do by demonstrating in the Scripture our Father and what he is like, I'm going to do that by his interactions with his son, Jesus. Again, is that as clear as mud? Wonderful. Right, I'm going to put that away. First slide. The Father delights in the Son because he says so. Alistair read from Mark chapter 1, 9 through to 11. And you heard the word love there quite a lot. 
And that is the greatest and possibly the most incomprehensible thing, theme that we could ever consider, the topic of love, but not just any love, but the love, the greatest love, the highest love, and the love of God Almighty, God the Father, for his only begotten son, Jesus. And we're going to try and just touch a little bit on that throughout today. God loves his son. This love has existed from eternity past. Before there were creatures, before there was plants, before there was breath in our lungs, God the Father loved God the Son. They were in perfect relationship, the triune God. And after God created the universe, he loved his son. And once Jesus was born into the world and had dirt under his fingernails like we have, God loved his son. And so the father desires to express the love which has eternally existed. And he does so in the passage that Alistair just read to us. In verse 11 it says, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But if you look at Matthew's gospel in chapter 3, verse 17, you see God expressing his love for Jesus in a different way, the same account, but, but differently ex expressed differently. Why, I suggest, is because he wants to bring us into that love, demonstrating again the type of father he is. And so we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew's account, Mark's account, slightly different. Why is there, there are two accounts? Why does the Bible record the Father express his love directly to Jesus in Mark's gospel and then indirectly through the onlookers? Imagine this in your mind. Imagine me with my son Joshua just before I officiated at his wedding two years ago. And I have a private word with Josh, just me and him. And I often do that with the people who I marry. And we come away from the crowd. And it's just us. And we take in the silence or the birds, the sight. We take in the rain, the snow, whatever it may be. And, we, and I always say these words, this is it. In the hope that with all the things that are going to happen in that day, the bride or the groom, whoever I'm praying with at that moment, remembers that very moment. And imagine me with, with my son Josh as I say to him these words, I want you to know, Josh, that I love you. I want you to know, Josh, that I'm happy with you. I'm happy that today's your special day and I love you more than I can express in words. And then see me a whole 18 months later because his wedding was during lockdown and small was beautiful, 11 people up at Queensview at June Bennett's home. But imagine us 18 months later gathered for the party in Inverness, two or three hundred people in this hall and I'm past the mic and I say to everyone there I want you to know I've got a wonderful daughter-in-law she's gorgeous my son is punching above his weight but I want you to know 
that I love my son. I think both of these happened, Matthew and Mark. The father saying directly to Jesus, you are my son in whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But then he says to the onlookers, or can I say he says to the whole world, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Keep in mind that I'm speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit here and letting us know about this love relationship between father and son, the perfect father, the good, good father. And what these words reveal about him. Back then, he says it to the onlookers. Today, he says it to us today. He says to us dads as an example, as granddads, whatever it may be. He says to those of us who are parents to our children, or those of us who maybe have no children but belong to a church family and have a wonderful gift of encouragement or have been a mother figure, of being in, in that capacity, saying to us, look at what love is. This is love. And he's calling us to express that to the world. This is the father. So the father tells us plainly that he delights in his son. Second thing, the father delights in the son for who he is. Simple. For who he is. John 1.18 says that the son is in the bosom of the father. Now that's the New King James. And I like that, that, that way that the New King James have used that. In the New Living Translation, it says that the son is near to the father's heart. What does the NIV say? Anybody look up John chapter 118? What does it say? Who's going to be first? John chapter 1 verse 18 says, So he is at the Father's side. He's in the bosom. He's in the Father's heart. What is John expressing here? That the Son is at the core of the Father. Couldn't get any closer. The bosom hugged tight. So the Son is in the Father, the bosom of the Father. And, and a little bit later in John 3.35 it says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Everything, creation. You're my son in whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. You have everything that belongs to me. You're at the core of my being. The father delights in the son because he is the perfect reflection of himself. Some more scriptures in the next slide from Colossians and Hebrews. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. Then it goes on to say in 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And then in Hebrews 1.3 it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The son is in the bosom of the father. He's at his core. Not only that, when you look at the son, you see the father. It is a love relationship with the spirit that has existed for all eternity. You can't get any more better than that. And God is saying, this is who I am. You want to know who I am? Look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God knows better than we 
that there's nothing in all the universe that's more glorious, more awesome, more wonderful, more powerful than God himself. Therefore, God would be committing idolatry if he was to honor any creation or created thing higher than himself. God the Father praises his Son as the radiance of his own glory, the exact representation of his own being, higher than anything else in the universe because the Son is at the core of the Father at the, in the bosom of his heart. Oh, how the Father loves the Son and delights in who the Son is. And third, the Father delights in the Son for what he does. But the work of the Son is not done in him, by himself. The work of the Son is in doing what the Father is doing. He's copying him. John 5.20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. This started at the creation. John 1.3, through, through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. Again, imagine Jesus, the apprentice carpenter, because scripture reveals that that's what he did with his dad, Joseph. And Joseph has designed a technical, a way to make uh, chairs, which is his signature chair. If you got this chair, you would know that was Joseph of Nazareth who did that chair. And Joseph is sitting with his apprentice, Jesus, his son, and he's saying, Jesus, copy what I'm doing. Copy what I'm doing. And Jesus does just that. A dad and a son working on something together. And I know the image and the illustration falls short, but it gives us in our world, in our existence, a little glimpse of how what we see the son does. He has seen the father do that. And they do it together because the son is in the bosom of the father. So lift that thought up to eternity. Father and Son making everything in the universe. The Father making the universe through the Son. The stars, the six galaxies that have just been found right at the beginning of the Big Bang spoiling. They can't work out why they're there. All of that. The Father creates with the Son and the Spirit. And I love a little bit in Hebrews, just to bring this little part to a conclusion of where it speaks of Jesus and, and Hebrews is looking at Jesus and how he is greater than Moses, greater than the angels. And it's just a, a great little picture of, of who Jesus is. And it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10, and this is God speaking of his son. O Lord, you laid the foundations of the, uh, of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. The father is saying to the son, son, you laid the foundations. We laid the foundations. Together we have done it. There is nothing that has been made by the father that the son was not involved in that with the spirit. They worked together on everything. So the father loves the son because of who he is and also for what he has done. And that extends to his earthly life. John 8, 29. Jesus says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So from the moment of his conception to his early life, and we get a glimpse of that when he is in the temple at Passover, 
And then at the beginning of his ministry at the age of 30 and throughout that time, the son was always in the father's will. There was no rebellion, deceit at all in him. He was obedient. Therefore, he was without sin. And every moment the son did was pleasing to the father. And then that perfect obedience would extend even to the cross at Calvary. Consider these words of Jesus in John 10. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The reason the father loves the son is that the son is obedient, perfectly obedient, even to the point of death. So God the Father delights in everything that the Son has done. And so I've done my best there to just explore a little bit of the interaction between what the Father says to the Son and what it says about the Father. We often look at Scripture and we can see how incredible Jesus is and we're going to come to that gracious and wise and loving and powerful and and yet he is an exact representation of the Father. You look at Jesus and you see the Father's heart. And, but I've only scraped the surface ever so gently. But now, just in closing, as I think of, so what? What difference does that make to us? I want to read just a couple of uh, lines from this book. Jesus addressed God in a certain way, but, and this is who he addressed. Maybe Jesus addressed him in these words, maybe. But this is who God has revealed in Jesus' Bible as being. And my pronunciation will be all over the shop. El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. Adonai, Lord and Master. Yahweh, Lord, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah Sediku, the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Mekodesh, Ikem, the Lord who sanctifies you, El Olam, the everlasting God, Elohim, God, Kwana, jealous, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Sabuath, the Lord of hosts. God reveals himself in Holy Scripture and the, the scriptures that Jesus read and loved and knew so well. And I want to read you this. Don't mind that, I don't need that. This is from a book uh, called The Go Between God. It's by a guy called John Taylor, way back in the 70s. And he says this, the astonishing relationship between God the Father and God the Son was expressed in the baby words, Abba, Daddy, in which we catch the actual sound of Jesus' most characteristic an intimate utterance. He quotes uh, 
Jehom uh, Jeremiah in the, is a, a book in the 60s who wrote this. With the help of my assistants, I have examined the prayer literature of ancient Judaism, a large, rich literature, all too little explored. The result of the examination was that in no place in this immense literature is this invocation of God as Abba to be found. Nowhere is it to be found. No Jew would have dared to address God in this manner. And yet Jesus did it always. And all his prayers, which are handed down to us with one single exception, the cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Abba, Daddy, Father. Now my, my dad was a great dad. He's a classic West of Scotland dad. Came to faith near the end of his life. Caught up in the sectarianism of his time. The poverty and the lifestyle. But my dad loved me. I was six years after the other five. And so I was a nice wee surprise. And my mom and dad loved me. I loved the last 15 years of my life with them after my dad had quadruple bypass. I loved seeing my parents fall in love again. Because when I was young, I stopped my mum going at my dad with a knife. I can remember her throwing an ashtray at his head. I'd be a go between, between them for many weeks when they wouldn't speak to each other. But somehow in those latter years, their hearts softened towards one another. And I had great, my siblings were all too, all too quick to get out of the house. They were desperate to get out of the house. I was spoiled rotten those last 15 years I was with them. And I used to do this lovely thing with my dad when he had a wee drink in him. And he used to always say that he loved me, mostly when he had a drink in him. And I, I just used to tease him and he would try and say something serious and I would say, blah, 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 blah. and he'd try and go on. He'd say, I love you and I want to tell you why I love you. And, I'd blah, 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 blah. and I can remember going across to the Coolins Bar, which was right across from where we stayed. And it was my job and I'm a, a grown man married at Bible College studying theology and I'm going to cross as was my job from a very young age to get my dad away from the pub and bring him home for his dinner. And I can remember walking into the Coolins and he's, he's propping up the bar and he turns around and he's like, David boy! And then he starts turning to all his friends. And my dad was, he was a Protestant and he was a huge Rangers fan. And he turns around to all these bar flies who are holding up the bar as well. And he says, I'm going to tell all you Catholics. Uh, man of his time. I'm telling you Catholics, you don't know God, but my son knows God. He's got to be a missionary. And I'm like, Dad, come on, let's go. Come on, Dad, let's get here. And he turns around, because I took him to Queen's Park, that's where I came to faith. I took him a few times. And tell you not a word, of a lie. He turns around to everybody and he starts going, Er God reigns, Er God reigns. So my memory of my father is a rich one. Many of us do not have that. It, it, that environment, that, those memories scar us. 
And I know many people have said to me, I find it difficult to, to approach God as Father. I understand Jesus. I can see Jesus and, you know, a wee bit of the Holy Spirit. But Father, I, I find that difficult when I have so many bad memories, so many scars. But Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. The Father delights in his Son. And he doesn't just say it to him directly. He says it indirectly to onlookers as an invite for us to enter into that love relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that love relationship which we only touch on but will be our experience for all eternity. Loving the Son, praising the Son and the Spirit to the glory of God the Father. And so I invite you to, to study more, to see more. But if, if that, that, that idea, that concept of God the Father is one which is difficult, let him know. Let your small group know. Share it with the person who you journey with. Whatever it may be, but address it. And know the Father's heart for us and that invite to enter into it for all eternity. We are going to have a song or two. Maybe just one song. And I know, for instance, one person, Gail, is coming forward for prayer. Um, so I'm just making sure that happens or we're going to go to Gail's. Um, but if you would like prayer, this is the time. But if no one comes forward for prayer, that's okay. And it need not be, I've got this whole thing about the father heart and a struggle. It may be I'm going into work tomorrow and I, I'm not looking forward to it. Can you pray blessing? Or I, can, can we pray together for my friend who this week has gone in for an operation or for my child who has been built, whatever it may be. be. A few people just stand here just for a minute or two to pray simply in confidence and I invite you for that and if you don't want to, enjoy the song, enjoy uh, the words of the song as we continue to praise God the Father in the Son through the Spirit. Amen.